Good morning. Um, so we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 11. Um, and before I start, I'm just going to pray. Dear Father, I thank you um, that all scripture is inspired by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that as we read and meditate on your word, you'll reveal it to us so that we can be better equipped for every good work. Amen. So um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned each to his task, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. But for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, good morning. Um, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Hill. It's great that you can join us for church this morning. Uh, a particular warm welcome to you if you're new or visiting, if it's your first time with us. We're really stoked to have you uh, join us as we gather uh, as God's people this morning. Uh, this week is a little bit different to every other week uh, in that uh, this is a special kind of launch or focus Sunday for us. Uh, our usual practice each and every Sunday is that we, uh, we gather like this, but we are working our way through a book of the Bible, whereas... Uh, at the moment, we're working our way through Matthew's Gospel, but, but this Sunday in particular, we've hit pause on that, uh, and we're going to have a particular focus on this theme uh, that we're going to be uh, uh, striving towards as a church this year, which is to be part of someone's story. Uh, our vision here at Cedar Hill is to be, uh, uh, our vision here at Cedar Hill is to, to multiply and mature wholehearted followers of Jesus for the glory of God. That's, what we, that's, that's, that's our beating heart that, that shapes everything that we do. Uh, we want to see an ever-increasing number of ever-deepening disciples of Jesus. Uh, but for our focus for 2023, as we try and see that happen here in our church, we've got this theme of be part of someone's story. Uh, we're going to be praying and planning and striving uh, to be part of someone's story, to, to take the opportunity to, to, to play a part, to be involved, uh, so that someone that we know, someone that we love, uh, maybe someone that we haven't even met yet might come to know uh, the saving love of God for them in Christ. Um, uh, so they might know Jesus and that they might grow as his followers. So uh, for the next uh, 25 minutes, we're going to look at uh, God's word to uh, get our heads around what that might mean for us. Uh, so uh, will you pray with me as we ask God to speak through his word this morning? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much that we can uh, gather here this morning uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for this, um, yeah, this great church family that we can be a part of. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in and through our church over the years, the way that you've grown it from a small group of people in the living room uh, to what it is now where um, dozens and dozens of people uh, have come to know, love and serve the Lord Jesus, where you're gathering more people in uh, to partner with us in this mission. And Lord, we pray now this morning for what you might do in and through us as your people. Lord, speak to us through your word so we might be clear about the part that we play in your work of saving people, 
of changing their stories from stories of desperation and sin and rebellion to stories of hope and grace and life with you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I think all of us deep down know that our lives are, are pretty small uh, and maybe not all that significant. If you, if you kind of, you know, set out this, the, 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 the chart out like the course of human history, uh, not many of us are going to make a, a blip on that chart. Uh, but we love the idea that small people like us can be part of something big. Uh, that's partly why uh, this movie, which I'm going to show you a trailer for, uh, was so successful. Uh, a bunch of small people being part of something big. So I hope you enjoy. hope it works. It's a movie called The Dish. It's a bit, it's a bit Australian. T-minus 25 seconds. We are still go with Apollo 11. On July the 20th, 1969, the world was about to witness the greatest feat in scientific history. This is the incredible true story of what we didn't see. Parks Australia had the only dish on Earth capable of broadcasting the moonwalk. Huh? The moonwalk? Oh. What's it doing in the middle of a sheep paddock? Never had a mission of this importance fallen to a more unlikely group of local officials... ...and engineers. With a few short hours to landing... We feel confident that we have the expertise to complete our role. ...the world riveted to their TVs and immortality within their grasp... You'll be able to hear Armstrong talking to Houston? Just by hitting a couple of buttons there. The unthinkable happened. What's happening? Without power... Control panel's dead. Sorry, folks. Have it fixed in a jiffy. Without a signal... Let me get this straight. You've lost Apollo 11. Without a clue. It's on its way to the moon. They did what many a seasoned broadcaster might have done. Oh, I'll just have to... Re reorient the uh how's it going they lied good pulling the wool over nasa's eyes took guts Maisie, can you keep a secret <laughs> pulling it out of the sheep dip was an international triumph ladies and gentlemen distinguished guests the national anthem of the united states of america that's one small step for man oh who goes there one the dish. Now we love a story like that. The reason we love it isn't because of the uh, corny Australian accents or the you know, the, the walk-on part of uh, uh, Sam Neill, our favourite Kiwi actor. Um, we love that we love the tale of a small, motley, unlikely uh, crew who have this this part to play in, 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 in world history. This small rural town in the middle of nowhere uh, gets this unlikely role in kind of what, what would, could arguably be one of humanity's greatest ever achievements, walking on the moon. We love that sort of thing. Uh, the little guy, the underdog, the nobody playing a part in a much bigger story. Um, uh, if you're wondering what that noise is, there's a couple hacker group next door. There you go. Um, if you hear some stamping and stomping, that's what it is. Um, we love to hear about the random guy at the junior club who, who taught Richie McCaw how to tackle or Kane Williamson how to swing a bat. Uh, we want to know about that no-name teacher who organised the, the school tramp up Mount Ruapayu that inspired Edmund Hillary to climb Mount Everest. Uh, we love the idea that someone very ordinary, someone totally normal like you and me, can have a part in something so significant. 
uh, something that is so transformative. And we love it because we think, that could be me. I, I could play that part in that really significant thing, even if it is in a small way. Now, sure, I'm not going to play for the All Blacks. I'd like to think the only reason is because I'm an Aussie. That's why I won't play. Um, uh, but I'm happy to see there might be other reasons as well. Uh, I'm not going to climb the tallest mountain in the world. Uh, but how great would it be to be part of a story like that? To be part of a story that really transforms history. And now, as followers of Jesus, we can often forget that we are caught up in the story of history. We are caught up in the defining story of history. We are caught up in a story that radically reshapes the lives and the eternal future of every man, woman, and child who has walked the face of this earth. You see, if you trust in Jesus, as the people of God, we're included and we have a part to play in that story. The story of God's rescue and redemption of the world that he has made. You see, since the beginning of, the, of time, uh, the Bible story tells us that uh, God has been on about saving people. Saving people from sin and death. Uh, and the Bible story is a story of, of God bringing them back into relationship with him so they can enjoy his presence and his blessings and an eternal life as his beloved people with him. And it's a story that culminates in the Lord Jesus. Uh, we read this in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, Paul writes to a church in Colossae and he says this to them, and the words should come up on the screen. Uh, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is Jesus. And through him, that's through Jesus, reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, Jesus and his cross, they are at the center of God's rescue story. It's where uh, the great enemies of sin and death are defeated and where Jesus takes the victory and saves his people. Now, it's worth stopping here and asking, is that your story? Is Jesus part of your story yet? Because I'm, I'm aware that there will be people here at church who don't yet have Jesus as part of their story that Jesus hasn't yet come into their story and transformed their life. And so the first thing I want to say to you is get to know Jesus. Invite him in. Have him transform your story so that your story is now defined by hope and love and grace as shown to you in Jesus. But for those of us who do know Jesus, those of us who are his followers, the crazy thing is, is that in God's kind of kindness and grace not only has he saved us in Christ not only has he included us in his family not only has he blessed us with eternal life and an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade kept in heaven for you but in God's kind of unimaginable grace he also includes us in his story he sweeps up sweeps us up he involves us he gives us a part to play in the greatest story of his rescue and redemption of the world a story that is greater than walking on the moon or playing for the All Blacks or climbing Mount Everest. See, God wants us as his people to be part of his story as others come to know Jesus and grow as his followers. How great was it to hear John's story and all the different people along the way who helped him know Jesus. And they haven't stopped there, but they're helping him grow as a follower of his. You see, God in his kindness, in his wisdom, he chooses to work through regular, normal, unimpressive, sorry about that, unimpressive people like you and me 
as he transforms lives for all eternity. You see, through Christ, God has made us part of his story. And through Christ, God wants to use us in his story so those around us might come to know him and might be saved by him. Uh, And if you're wondering how this all works, how we're drawn up into God's great story, come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, That's the part of the Bible we're going to be looking at briefly uh, this morning. Uh, In 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 3, we're told some important things about how God works through people. Uh, how God works through people so that people might come to know Jesus and how they might come to grow as his followers. Now, uh, what we usually do as we work our way through books of the Bible is that you know, we would have uh, usually done uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and now we'd be up to chapter 3, but we're kind of just diving straight in at chapter 3. So it's really important that we remember the context. Uh, the context here is that the Apostle Paul, uh, who wrote this part of the Bible, he is writing to a church that had two massive issues. Uh, The first issue was that they were proud. Uh, They thought that they were mature and full of knowledge. Uh, The Corinthians, they loved the clever argument. Uh, They were wooed by an eloquent speaker. They thought they'd worked it all out. They knew everything. They thought that they were the bee's knees. They were proud. Uh, The second major issue of the Corinthian church was that they were divided. Uh, They were lining up behind different leaders, uh, treating their leaders as though they were special. Uh, For some, Paul was their guy. For others, this guy, Apollos, was their guy. For others, Cephas, the Apostle Peter, was their guy. And if we read the whole book, we see that kind of pride and division. It's a pretty toxic combination for a church. And so these verses here, they're kind of part of this quite long smackdown that Paul is giving the Corinthian church, where he's kind of putting them back in their place. And he's setting the record straight. He's helping them to think rightly about their place in God's kingdom and rightly about leaders who might lead over them. Uh, Now, for us... Uh, Pride is always an issue of the human heart, and so uh, we need to be on guard about that. And, uh, you know, uh, pride is a particular issue when, you know, it might come to thinking how much we know about things, whether we know more than others. Uh, But for us, I don't think we, uh, I don't get the sense that we're a church uh, that's kind of lining up behind particular leaders. Uh, Maybe I'm naive, but I don't know if this is like the Paul faction of our church, Um, or these are the kind of the Rob crew, or whether there's like the Andy corner up the back. Uh, Maybe I'm just naive and I don't know any of that's happening. Um, But uh, so maybe these verses aren't necessarily, you know, some of the things that are going on here may not necessarily be happening for us. Uh, The smackdown might not be the smackdown that we need at this particular moment. Uh, But sitting behind these verses here are some theological principles that I think are really important. Uh, some, there's a framework behind these verses. There's a framework from which Paul is working as he corrects the Corinthians uh, that is really important for us to grasp as, as we try and understand how God uses his people in his work, as God uses his people to see others saved, uh, to know and to know Jesus and to grow as his followers. Uh, and there are three things uh, that I think Paul points out that will be helpful for us to see this morning. Uh, the first is that as we're part of someone's story, it's not about the leaders. The second, it's not even about who does what, because what it all is about, and the final thing is, it's all about us serving to grow God's kingdom. So it's not about the leaders, it's not about who does what, it's all about us serving together to grow God's kingdom. Uh, Those are three principles I think we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, So firstly, as we work out the part we play, as we think about how we together might see God's kingdom grow in our midst, as we might see God work in the lives of those around us, The first thing that Paul makes clear is it's not about the leaders. Uh, Now, what's going on in the Corinthian church? Uh, Because of that, Paul wants to lower uh, their view of Christian leaders. Uh, He thinks that they think of Christian leaders 
far too highly. Uh, and he addresses the issue there in verse 5. Have a look at verse 5 with me. Verse 5, what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? And now this is a different Paul to the Paul that we've got here. Um, this is the Apostle Paul talking about himself. Uh, Corinthians, he's saying, you're a church that's all divided up about leaders, but what are these guys anyway? It's interesting that Paul doesn't ask, who is Apollos and who is Paul? See, Paul's trying to pull their focus in. He's, he's not, he doesn't want them to think about who these leaders are. He wants them to think about what they are, to think about their function, to think about what they're supposed to do. And the answer there is there in verse 5. Verse 5, after all, what, uh, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. These guys, these leaders, the ones that they thought were so impressive, these guys that they're kind of splitting over and causing factions about, well, Paul is saying they are just servants or house slaves is the literal word. They are servants. They are just midwives to believe. They are only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned each task, writes Paul. You see, what Paul wants to do is he wants to lower their view of leaders. Uh, for the Corinthians, these guys that you're rallying behind, these guys that you're dividing over, they are nothing special. They are just guys doing a job. They're servants. You see, the, the, the Corinthians, they kind of had this idea that Christian leadership was like a pyramid uh, and with leaders and teachers and preachers and pastors right at the top uh, and everyone else kind of sat under them. Uh, and they're at the top and they do the important work and they're the ones who make stuff happen and they're the ones who are having impact. But Paul says that is completely the wrong way round. Paul is saying that in God's church, it's an inverted pyramid. The leaders are not at the top, they are at the, at the bottom. Uh, if you've been with us as we've gone through Matthew's Gospel, you've seen this time and time again, haven't you? Uh, this, this counter, this upside-down kingdom that Jesus brings, where the first will be last and the last will be first, where whoever wants to be great must be the servant of all. You see, in God's kingdom, in God's church, it's an inverted pyramid. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's a, it's a, it's a topsy-turvy org chart where leaders are at the bottom, where they are just servants. They are there to help the rest of the church to do the works of service, to get on with the ministry, to be involved in people's story, to do the good things that God has for us to do together. Uh, Paul writes uh, really clearly about this uh, a little bit, uh, well, in another book, in uh, his letter to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, he writes this. He says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. Leaders, even the apostles those founders of the New Testament church, those writers of the New Testament scriptures. He says, they work for the church. They work under the church. They work through the church so that the people of God are equipped for every good work, equipped for works of service. And so when it comes to thinking about our place in God's story or thinking about our role in God's church, 
sometimes we can fall into this trap of thinking about leaders. We can think that the leaders are the ones who have the responsibility to do all the ministry, uh, that you know, the, kind of the, the important work of pastoral care or the ministry of teaching the Bible or discipling people, well, that's just for the pros. You know, the pastors, the ministers, the clergy, the bigwigs, that's what they do. But Paul is saying no. Paul is saying here, leaders are just servants. They're enablers, they're trainers, they're coaches. But it is you, you, the church, who are on the front lines of God's story. Um, our, our church has an office space and a kind of a, a midweek meeting space at Tory Street. Um, some of you will know about that. You know, um, I want you to think about what happens at Tory Street. Uh, I want you to think about what happens there. Tory Street is not the front line. Not even close. Tory Street is a training centre. Tory Street is a logistics hub. Tory Street is a back office in the real work that takes place in your home or in your flat or in your workplace or over the back fence or in your living room. That is the front line. That is where the action happens. That is where God has sovereignly written you into the story of your friends and family. So that, he might radic- so that he might use you and work through you to radically reshape their story, to see it transformed as they come to know Jesus and as they grow as his followers. And so, Paul is saying, lower your view of leaders. They are just servants. They're just folks doing a job so we can all together Get on with doing the work of the ministry, of, 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 of seeing God's kingdom grow wherever we might be. The second thing that Paul says here uh, is uh, it's not about who does what. Uh, see, there's a great diversity in the things that need to be done. Uh, and Paul says the role, that someone's, the role that someone actually plays, in the end, it's no big deal. Uh, we see this verse 6, Paul says, I planted the seed. Now, here at church, we talk a little bit about church planting. I guess that's where the, uh, the metaphor comes from. Uh, Paul talks about himself here as being the church planter in Corinth. He was the one who first turned up to Corinth and kind of stuck the seed of the gospel into the ground of the city of Corinth as he, as he told people about Jesus. Uh, from what we know in uh, the New Testament, Paul was there for about 18 months, maybe two years, and then he moved on. Verse 6 again, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. And that's the point. Paul planted, sure. Apollos watered, yeah. But God, he was the one who made it grow. Now, from my extensive uh, experience of farming, um, uh, I don't think I've ever farmed. Uh, but uh, I, can tell, I can talk to you about farming. Um, from what I understand about farming, uh, as a farmer, what you're trying to do is you're trying to create the context for growth. Uh, you plough the field, Uh, You sow the seed, you irrigate. If you can't irrigate, you pray for rain. Uh, You fertilise, you pull weeds. And what you're doing there is you're creating the context for growth. But it is beyond the farmer. It is beyond any human being to get inside the seed and say, grow. 
All you can do is create the best possible conditions for growth and then stand back and allow the seed to grow. Paul, he planted. Apollos, he watered. But it's God, he was the one who made it grow. And so what Paul is doing here is he's bringing down what any particular person does. Uh, It really doesn't matter what anyone does, what any particular person does. You know, the Corinthians, they, 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 they held their preachers in high regard, they held their philosophers in high regard, and Paul is saying, it doesn't matter. The church didn't grow because Apollos was the one who watered it. It's not as though there would have been a different outcome if someone else had the watering can in their hand. Just like the tomatoes in my backyard, they're kind of growing around behind the trampoline. There's, there's quite a few coming along now. Um, uh, the tomatoes don't notice whether I'm holding the hose or Adele is. Uh, it's not about who does what, because it's God who brings the growth. And we see this in verse 7. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. You see, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, quite frankly, it's not about your leaders. It's not really about who's in which chair or who's doing what job. All they are doing is they are creating the context for growth. They're creating the environment where God might bring about growth in his people and in his kingdom. And I think this can actually be really liberating for us. See, not only do we often obsess about the leaders uh, and how important we might think that they are, uh, but often we think particular jobs are more important than others. I don't know, anything that's up front at church feels a bit more important. Maybe if you're leading a group, that feels a bit more important. Maybe if you get to preach the sermon, that feels really important. Uh, some jobs we, we just think are more important. But Paul is just saying here, anything we do in God's church is just creating a context for growth. All those jobs are no more important than setting up the chairs or running the slides, or saying hello to someone who's new, or inviting a friend along, or making a coffee, or packing up at the end of the day. They're all working together to create a context for growth. They're all working together to see Jesus become part of someone's story. Someone plants. Maybe they're the first to speak to them about Jesus. They sow the seed of the gospel in their life. Someone waters, and maybe they follow that conversation up. Maybe they ask questions. Maybe they they, they teach and encourage and equip. Someone pulls a few weeds or they fertilise or do whatever else farmers do. Uh, In church life, maybe it's having them over for lunch, maybe taking the time to listen to their story or caring for them in a time of need. But what we're doing is we're just cruising around, working together, doing our best to create a context for things to happen. You see, we can't make someone a follower of Jesus. Even Paul, our mission pastor, he's the mission pastor. Even he can't make someone a follower of Jesus. But we together can create a context for growth. A context where God will rewrite people's story through his mercy and his grace. Because at the end of the day, it's only God who makes things grow. It's only God who can bring someone to know Jesus as their saviour and their king. And if God is the only one who can do that, what does that mean for us as a first priority? What is key? What is essential for that context for growth? 
Surely it's to pray. Surely it's to come before God and ask. To ask that he will bring the growth. That he will transform people's story through his gospel of grace. Don't underestimate at all the power of praying in seeing God transform someone's story. Because all glory to God who does what no human can do. It is only God who makes it grow. So it's not about leaders. Uh, They're only servants helping equip the people of God for the real work. It's not about who does what. Because it's God who makes things grow. So if those are the things it's not about, what is it about then? Well, it's about us all serving together to grow God's kingdom. It's about us all serving together to grow God's kingdom. Uh, See, Paul, he's lowered the Corinthians' view of their leaders, uh, but he now sets sets to kind of raise their view of the part that they have to play in the kingdom of God, the part that they have to play in God's rescue story. Have a look with me at verse 8. Verse 8, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they'll be each rewarded according to their own labour. Sure, it's not about the leaders. Sure, it's not about who does what. What does matter here is this one purpose. And Paul is saying that the purpose, the ends to which they strive, that is the thing that matters. And God's purpose here in 1 Corinthians, and we see here, it's to build his church. And so the purpose of God's people is to be caught up in his story, to be caught up in his rescue, to be caught up in his redeeming of the world through Christ and to be involved in building his church. And so don't worry about the leaders and don't worry about who's doing what. Just focus on that one purpose, growing and establishing God's kingdom through Jesus. Because it's a great privilege to be caught up in this. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, for we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. We are fellow workers together in God's service. We are the people through whom God is building his kingdom, through whom God is drawing people to himself as he seeks and saves the lost. I don't know whether you realize, uh, but Paul shifted his metaphors here. He does it a bit. He shifted his metaphors. The, 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 the picture's gone from farming uh, to now it's a building, uh, but it's a building with very specific foundations. Verse 10, verse 10, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ, which is Jesus Christ. What's the foundation of God's great building project? What is, who is the central character in God's great story? What's well, Jesus? It's the good news of Jesus as set out by the apostles, the authorised witness. That is the foundation. That is the only foundation on which we build. Verse 11, for no one can lay any other foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Which means it must mean that, the, that Jesus is at the beating heart of everything that we do together. It must mean that as we are part of someone else's story, that we're connecting them to God's great rescue story in Christ. 
that we're constantly pointing them to Jesus, the one who rescues and redeems, the only one who can transform their story from a story of sin and death and destruction to a story of hope and grace in Christ. And there is no other foundation to build on. There is no other foundation to build on because there is no other name in heaven on earth through which we can be saved. So as we think about how God might use us in his great rescue story, and how God might use us to, to transform and redeem the stories of those we know and love, it's not about leaders. They're just servants to equip us all for the part that we might play. And it's not about what job we do. God is the one who brings the growth. So get stuck in with whatever there is to be done in front of you. And it's actually all about serving in God's kingdom, doing whatever we can in whatever way to see God's kingdom grown and established on the foundation of Jesus. And there are so many different parts that we can play. Uh, Each week I send uh, the church an email and in in my email this week I, I reflected on my own story of coming to know Jesus. Uh, I grew up as a Mormon, which is a little bit weird. I'll get that. Um, You can ask me about that later. Uh, But growing up as a Mormon, I was proud. I was arrogant. I thought that uh, by my membership of a particular church and by the things that I did, that God would love me. Uh, When I was about uh, 15, uh, my family left that church and I stopped going to church. Uh, Someone bravely pulled us out. Uh, being a Mormon kid at school, I was a little bit weird. Um, and, but the kids who were most patient and kind and loving to me were the Christians. And these Christian friends who had welcomed me in, the, the weird Mormon kid, into their friendship group. Uh, they didn't know the part that they were playing in my story. So 15-year-old kids realised their friend wasn't going to church anymore, so invited them to their youth group. At the youth group, I was welcomed by other kids by leaders. During the youth group, there was a a parents group that met in a room at the back of the church that was praying for new kids, praying they might come to know Jesus. At the youth group, I stuck around because there was some food. Someone cooked the barbecue. Someone gave me my sausage roll. Uh, At the youth group, we played games and I felt like I belonged. At the youth group, a ministry apprentice got up and preached a sermon on Ephesians chapter 2. And I realised for the first time, it wasn't what I did, but what Jesus had done. In my story, ordinary people doing ordinary things. So I might be saved. We all do ordinary things all the time. But God graciously, in his loving mercy and sovereign will, uses them to see people saved. How is God going to use you to transform the story of someone else? Will you pray with me? Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, you have been so kind to us in Jesus. 
When we did not love you, you loved us. And you sent him as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And Lord, you have done that not just through fancy leaders preaching impressive sermons or smart people writing really big books, but you have drawn us to yourself through ordinary people who have prayed, who have loved, who have opened their mouths and opened their houses to show us the love that you have shown us in Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that this year you might use all of us to be part of someone's story as they move from death to life, as they move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your son, as they move from a life without hope and without a future to a life filled with hope and a glorious eternal future through what you have done for them in Jesus. Lord, give us courage to speak. Give us courage and energy to serve. Lord, give us humility to do whatever it needs to be done so that those around us might know and understand what you have done for them in Jesus so that you might bring the growth so that you might be glorified, so that your kingdom might grow here through our church and through your people. And we pray all of this in the great name of Jesus. Amen.